Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, March 4th, 2019. I'm Chris Higgins, in for Brian McCullough. Today, Facebook lets randos look you up by your phone number. Huawei is about to sue the U.S. government. A Vermont law exposes more than 100 data brokers. USB 4 is announced, and I am overly excited about it. Facebook offers a way to log in with your face, kind of, if you have to. And the W3C has a new standard that promises to do away with passwords forever. Let's go. Another day, another Facebook privacy scandal. TechCrunch reports that after Facebook implemented two-factor authentication and encouraged the use of phone numbers for it, they then exposed those phone numbers through a friend lookup mechanism. Oops. This happened even though Facebook claimed they were only using those phone numbers to improve security. The news originally broke after Emojipedia maven Jeremy Burge noticed the issue and his tweet tweet about it went viral. After you have provided your phone number to Facebook, the site has a setting that asks who can look you up using the phone number you provided. And the default setting is everyone. Everyone, meaning literally anyone can go fishing for phone numbers and tie them to specific accounts. Cool. Super cool. Okay, and what are the other options for who can look you up by your phone number? Well, you can choose friends of friends or friends. There is no way to opt out of the feature entirely. I actually checked my own account for this and found that, of course, it was set to the default. Everyone could look me up. And you know what? I bet they have. Of course, you used to be able to opt out of this feature entirely by simply never giving Facebook your phone number. But then two-factor authentication rolled out and most people chose SMS as their preferred second factor. And, well, here we are. The TechCrunch article references an April 2018 BBC article which reads, in part, The firm, meaning Facebook, said malicious actors had been harvesting profiles for years by abusing the search tool. It said anybody that had not changed their privacy settings after adding their phone number should assume their information had been harvested. One security expert told the BBC the attack had been possible for years. End quote. And here's a quote from the TechCrunch article. When asked specifically if Facebook will allow users to opt out of the setting, Facebook said it won't comment on future plans. And asked why it was set to everyone by default, Facebook said the feature makes it easier to find people you know but aren't yet friends with. End quote. And then TechCrunch goes on to remind us that Alex Stamos, Facebook's former chief security officer, left the company in 2018 to become an adjunct professor at Stanford. And Facebook has not yet hired a replacement chief security officer. Let's get ready for some litigation. The New York Times reports that Huawei is gearing up to sue the U.S. government over a defense spending bill that bans federal agencies from buying the company's products. And by the way, that same bill also bans products from Chinese company ZTE, but we're not going to talk about that in this story. The lawsuit is reportedly about to be filed in the Eastern District of Texas, where Huawei has its U.S. headquarters. 
This legal move is seen as an escalation of the ongoing PR and public policy battle between Huawei and the U.S. government. And let's not forget, Meng Wanzhou, Huawei's CFO, is still being detained in Canada at the request of the U.S. government. She's technically out on bail, but under continuous monitoring. The U.S. is seeking extradition so she can be tried for Huawei's alleged violation of U.S. sanctions on Iran through a shell company. Canada just granted the U.S.'s extradition request on March 1st. In a quick response, yesterday, Wanjo's attorneys filed suit against the Canadian government, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and the Canada Border Services Agency, alleging that she was illegally detained, interrogated, and searched prior to being informed that she was under arrest. It's unclear how that case will proceed, but it sure seems like that will at least delay the extradition. But back to the upcoming Huawei case against the U.S., which is unrelated, but it's also obviously related. The core argument there is the Congressional Spending Bill constitutes what's called a bill of attainder, meaning the law singles out the company and punishes that company without a trial. As the Times noted, this is a very similar situation to what happened with Russian cybersecurity company Kaspersky Lab. Kaspersky actually filed two suits which made very similar arguments after a very similar law was passed preventing U.S. government agencies from using Kaspersky products. Those suits were dismissed last May by a D.C. court. This legal move by Huawei is interesting because it is literally asking for a trial. The Chinese company wants the U.S. to put its cards on the table in court and reveal what basis it has to seek such broad punishment. Given that the U.S. government sees this as a matter of national security, it'll be interesting to see what comes out in that trial and what remains sealed. Stay tuned. Now, here's a phrase I didn't think I'd ever read on the news. Thanks, Vermont! Fast Company reports that thanks to a new Vermont law, companies that buy and sell personal data have to register with Vermont's Secretary of State. So far, Fast Company has been able to identify 121 data brokers who have done so. Their new article provides some advice on how you might get them to stop collecting your data. Now, not all companies provide a way to opt out, and the Vermont law does not require them to. But some do have that option. Also, the Vermont law does not extend to every company that collects personal data. For instance, it doesn't apply to Facebook, which collects user data directly, meaning it's a first-party data collector. This law targets companies that buy data collected by other parties and then sell that data to others. Still, it's a start. And just scrolling through this list of 121 companies, this list of data brokers is pretty daunting. Here are some names that jumped out at me, just as names that I recognized and thought were kind of big and really wondered, what is their policy about getting off the list, if there is one? Here's my list. Spokio, Zoom Info, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, Axiom, Oracle, LexisNexis, Innovis, Bin Verified, CoreLogic, and the National Student Clearinghouse. And that's just a little handful. This list is super long. Check the link in the show notes for the whole thing. But remember, just because you know someone is collecting your data doesn't mean you can stop them. But still, at least now we know. Thank you, Vermont. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. 
Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramps also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramps save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Okay, big nerd news today. USB 4 has been announced, and it's basically Thunderbolt 3 with some special sauce. I know that sounds confusing, and it kind of is confusing, but I'm going to break that down in a minute. But before I get into the actual news, I do need to disclose that in a previous career, I used to build software that was used by the USB Implementers Forum, and later I built software used by the folks who invented Thunderbolt, and I was involved in that picture as a vendor for well over a decade. I didn't actually make the specs or do any of that stuff. And today, I have no financial or other relationship with these folks whatsoever, but the point is, this was my beat. This is what I worked for like well over a decade. So I know a whole lot of the history of these technologies and how they've diverged and converged and kind of almost converged for the past two decades, really. And I can tell you one key fact. The one thing I wanted since the first day Thunderbolt came out, the original Thunderbolt 1, the thing I wanted was for that to replace USB. And that's what's about to happen. Okay, so what is the specific news today? The news is the USB 4 spec will be released in draft form later this year. And guess what? At its core, USB 4 is a souped up version of Thunderbolt 3. This is going to make your life better. Trust me, I've been working with this stuff since USB 1 and Thunderbolt 1, and I have seen every type of connector and chipset and weird cable that they made along the way, and what has previously been a messy and confusing set of often incompatible plugs and standards and speeds that don't make sense is now finally on the road to becoming compatible and simple. 
But not just that, it's also going to be really, really powerful. And it's going to be powerful on things like laptops and maybe even phones too. So in 2017, Intel announced it would open up the Thunderbolt 3 technology so other chip makers could add the tech to their machines without having to buy Intel host chips or pay royalties on each device. This is a whole lot like what they did with the original USB technology many decades ago. That's how USB took over the computing world. It was basically royalty-free technology, except for a small fee up front to get in the door, and also a fee if you wanted to like use the logo of USB on your product, and sometimes you had to pay to have things tested. But basically, it was a very, very inexpensive way to get things made. Today's announcement of USB 4 lays out a roadmap for how that is going to play out as Thunderbolt and USB merge. If you're not familiar with Thunderbolt, it's basically PCI Express over a wire. It offers the same kinds of speeds and features over that wire that you used to get only by plugging things directly into a motherboard inside a PC. Thunderbolt cabling is a little bit expensive because it needs to manage those high-speed connections, but the technology enables tons of new features for computers, especially laptops, where there's no room to have internal PCI Express slots, but there's plenty of room for little connectors on the side. Thunderbolt 3 offers 40 gigabits per second of bandwidth, and so will USB 4. Now that's double what the fastest USB 3.2 variant offers right now, and it's eight times faster than the baseline USB 3.0, which was previously called USB 3.0 Gen 1. So like, don't worry about the weird naming schemes. Point is, USB 4 is much, much faster than any previous USB standard. Today, the USB landscape is super confusing. Let's just admit it. Thunderbolt 3 and some forms of USB 3 use the same connector called USB Type-C, but the cables are actually different on the inside. Thunderbolt cables have controller chips in them that are not present in USB cables. Add to that the classic USB Type-A connector, that's the rectangular one that we've all plugged in 10 million times on one end to plug in our phone and the other end is an iPod connector or a lightning connector or a mini A or a mini B or etc. Anyway, that Type-A connector can be USB 3 compatible or USB 2 compatible or USB 1 compatible. And within each of those three things, there are varying speeds of those standards. So you've got a real mess there. And all of those things are currently trying to play together on modern computers. From a consumer perspective, I have this belief that a plug is a plug. Anything that fits in the plug should just work. But today, it doesn't. I mean, sometimes it does, but other times it doesn't. But why? It's really hard to tell unless you're as much of a nerd as I am about USB 4 and Thunderbolt and blah, blah, blah. By folding Thunderbolt into USB 4, all of this plug stuff will go away. It will be one plug to rule them all. They will all work. They will all work backwards. They will work forwards. And that is a huge deal. It really is. USB 4 will continue to use the USB-C style connectors that we've become used to in recent years. That effectively means Thunderbolt 3 ports are just gonna appear under a new name and a new licensing scheme. That means that, for example, a laptop with a few USB 4 ports will be able to use those ports to charge the machine, drive external GPUs, attach 4K and 5K displays, attach giant storage arrays, create ultra-fast networking, you name it, it's PCI Express. Anything that you wanted to do, you could plug it in. And it will be backwards compatible with legacy USB 2 and 3 devices. Though you may need cable adapters to plug in those, you know, rectangular ports into the USB style ports. But a small dongle, 
not a huge price to pay just to plug in your mouse or whatever. Now, it's going to take a few years for USB 4 to roll out into real-world use, but when it does, our long international nightmare of weird cabling and bad naming conventions will come to an end, and I think that's something worth celebrating. All right, file this next story under technically old news, but definitely new news to me. And yeah, it's another Facebook story. I'm sorry, but that's just, yeah. Yesterday on Twitter, Harry McCracken shared a screenshot showing what happens when you can't log into Facebook because you lost your two-factor authentication device. Maybe you lost your phone or your YubiKey or your phone number changed or whatever. When that happens and you also lost your backup codes because, of course, you didn't print those out and store them in the wall safe hidden behind the priceless artwork in your frickin' mansion, well, you have two options. The first option is to send Facebook a photo of a government-issued ID. You know, there was a time when I would do that without thinking twice about it. And that time with Facebook is over. What could possibly go wrong with providing my ID info to Facebook? Hmm. But, okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not that bad. We show ID all the time to gain access to private spaces. And Facebook is a private space. If you have to show ID to buy beer, okay, maybe it's fine to upload ID to log in in one of these weird cases. I get that. But it's the second option that's the real doozy. You can, and I quote, take a photo of yourself holding a sign with a handwritten code, end quote. In researching this, this option has existed since at least 2018 and appears to be a method of last resort for those who either can't or won't provide government ID. But there are several truly bizarre things about this option. First, it's eerily reminiscent of kidnappers' proof-of-life schemes, where hostages are shown with today's newspaper, or they're encouraged to share some bit of information that only they would know in order to verify their identity and that they are currently alive. And this is where we live now. If you're locked out of Facebook, you can provide your own proof of life using your webcam. And of course, we all know there's absolutely no way to fake a photo of a person holding up a sign with something written on it, right? Right? I mean, that's that's far beyond current technology. Anyway, the second thing that makes this weird is how similar it is to previous Facebook efforts to get you to log in using your face. Facebook very much wants pictures of you, lots of pictures of you. In 2017, Wired reported that Facebook was testing a verification process that involved simply uploading a fresh selfie as a form of identification. That's a lot like the Face ID system on a modern iPhone. Except the facial recognition system involves remote analysis by Facebook, not a piece of hardware in your hand that you can control. But Facebook doesn't just want pictures of your face. In 2017, The Verge reported that Facebook was testing a process in which it encouraged Australian users of its Messenger product to proactively upload nude photos of themselves in order to prevent revenge porn. And yes, Facebook employees did look at the nude photos before they were squirreled away in a database, supposedly in a file format that could never be seen again by a human. The idea there was that if you had a specific photo or set of photos that you worried would be posted to Facebook by someone seeking to harm you, you could proactively put them on a block list using this process. But you did that by letting Facebook look at the pictures. The pictures that are by definition things that you do not want people to look at. So while the intent of all these features is clearly good, you know, Facebook is trying to help people log into their accounts and trying to reduce harm in the form of preventing revenge porn, but it is increasingly bizarre that a company so beset with privacy concerns continues to ask its users for pictures of themselves as some sort of proof that we are who we say we are. 
we're increasingly unwilling to give this stuff away to Facebook. And Facebook, you know that we're living in an era of deep fakes, right? And finally today, more nerdy tech news that actually has the potential to change how you work in a good way. The W3C has approved a web standard that aims to do away with passwords once and for all. It's called WebAuthN. The open standard is supported by a ton of W3C contributors, including Airbnb, Alibaba, Apple, Google, IBM, Intel, Microsoft, Mozilla, PayPal, SoftBank, Tencent, and Ubico. The new spec will allow users to log in using a variety of different technologies on the user side. You can use a biometric thing like a fingerprint scanner. You can use a FIDO security key, known to most of us as those little UB keys. Web browser makers have actually already built in support for WebAuthn into Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and the preview version of Safari. And you can already use it on sites including Dropbox, Facebook, GitHub, Salesforce, Stripe, and Twitter. Now, with all these heavy hitters already supporting this technology, the rest of the web can't be that far behind. The goal of the new standard is to destroy the password once and for all. Passwords have inherent problems. Too many to go into here. WebAuthN promises to wipe all of them away. For instance, the login credentials for a WebAuthN user are never stored on a server, and they never leave the user's device. That means there is no password database for a hacker to steal. There is no password to crack. That makes dictionary and rainbow attacks literally impossible. And this is cool. The implementation on the user side can vary because users have very different needs and abilities when it comes to authentication. So users can choose from fingerprint readers, from face readers, from FIDO security keys, from mobile devices, and potentially things that we haven't yet thought of. And because the keys are unique for every website, it's impossible to use login credentials to track users across multiple sites. Sounds pretty good, right? So watch this space as WebAuthn increasingly becomes the standard for password-free logins. It's going to take years, of course, but it's a worthy goal. And one day we'll all sit around telling our grandchildren how we had to memorize these weird words and numbers and symbols. And then we had to get applications to keep a list of those things. And we had a password to get into the application to the thing just to log into our bank. I am so excited for a password-free future. That's it for today's ride home. Brian will be back with you tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he won't go on another five-minute USB 4 rant, but you never know what the news will bring. Meanwhile, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Higgins, follow Brian at BrianMCC, and follow the editors of TechMeme at TechMeme. We'll be back with you tomorrow on your ride home.